Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either-or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise. I'm Karina Belizzi. And I'm Tia Walden. And today, Tia and I are thrilled to introduce you to a legend in the world of anti-aging science whose discoveries have changed the face of medicine. He's a different sort of MD than you might be used to. He's inquisitive, research-oriented journey led him on a different path towards nutrition and health. And that's Dr. William W. Lee. Dr. Lee is an internationally renowned physician, scientist, and author of the New York Times bestseller, Eat to Beat Disease, the new science of how your body can heal itself. I've got that handy right here for all of you. His groundbreaking work has led to the development of more than 30 new medical treatments and impacts care for more than 70 diseases, including cancer, diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. His TED Talk, Can We Eat to Starve Cancer, has garnered more than 11 million views. He's appeared on Good Morning America, CNN, CNBC, and The Dr. Oz Show. And he has been featured in USA Today, Time Magazine, The Atlantic, and O Magazine. He is president and medical director of the Angiogenesis Foundation and is leading research into COVID-19. In short, he's someone we should all be paying attention to. Dr. Lee, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Well, I just have to say thank you. Some really amazing thought leaders wrote reviews of your book, including Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. Dean Ornish, and big celebrities like Cindy Crawford and musicians like Bono and The Edge from U2. I honestly love what they wrote. Probably couldn't summarize what I have to say better myself. But ultimately, what I took away from this work is that we have control of our own health if we'll just pay attention to what we eat. So I guess that's the starting ground. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's one of these things that I realized when I was in medical school, training to be a very traditional medical doctor, we learned the body parts, we learned how they work together, and then we quickly switched to diseases and the drugs that actually are used to treat diseases. And that's really, I think, where most physicians that are in practice today wind up centering their careers around. For me, it was a little bit different. I grew up in a food culture. I really loved food. And I also did a gap year between college and medical school where the thing that was really interesting to me was the Mediterranean and Asia. And I was very interested in the strong, deep connections that those communities and those cultures have between their food and their health and the traditions within their culture. So we're not talking about fancy food. We're actually talking about very simple foods that have actually been around for hundreds and maybe thousands of years and what it meant for them to actually enjoy them. Now, of course, these were also very tasty foods. And so that was also another important part of how I kind of embraced food as medicine is that food as medicine is also about joy, the joy of eating, not just sort of like the chore of actually eating. And so for me, 
as I developed my sort of biomedical science background, and, and not only did I prescribe medicines, I actually helped to develop lots of very sophisticated biotechnologies. I started in parallel starting to realize that the biggest opportunity was to prevent disease in the first place. And we could actually use science to really begin studying what food does to our body and how our body responds to what we put inside it. And that really is, I think, the key to unlock the mysteries of food. It's not just about the food. So, you know, like you, it's not just about kale or tomatoes or celery or whatever it is. It's really about also about how our body responds to what you put in it. When you put something bad in your body, you know, there are consequences. When you put something good in your body, and that's what I focus on, what to add to your, what to add for your health, then your uh, body's health defenses light up and we actually all become healthier. I think that's amazing. I don't think a lot of people actually look at the joy of food, right? We are told a lot of times, don't eat that, don't eat this, and force yourself to eat that, even though you despise the taste, right? And you kind of mentioned your studies and your work is really based on human studies and trials with the food as medicine. And the fact that you go beyond those animal studies and drug testing and use that food along with the medicine is really remarkable. It's not something that is done very often. It's really not common in the field of medicine. And typically doctors are just looking at what prescription will mask that symptom and rather than treating or getting to that root cause. So were you always inspired to look at food as medicine from that human study standpoint? Or how did you really get to that point of your work? Well, you know, so first of all, I've been involved with been very privileged to be involved with developing cancer drugs, cancer treatments, very sophisticated ones. And cancer is one of these diseases where it's life and death. People need better treatments. And so for me, it was sort of like getting up every morning, feeling inspired to be able to help make the world a better place and help people overcome a deadly disease. If you're going to be involved with something like cancer research and developing cancer treatments, I can tell you, you know, we do the work on the genes and the cells and we do work in the test, test tubes and there's animal work and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the rubber meets the road and you know if you've actually hit a home run, if it actually works in people. So that's something I've always realized is that anything before people gives us a deeper understanding at the molecular level, perhaps. Scientists care a lot about that. But at the end of the day, what everybody else cares about is really whether it works in, in humans. So I've always prized the idea of like the data, the evidence, does it work in people is sort of the rubber meets the road. Now, I will tell you also, you remarked on this idea of not just food versus medicine, because that's a schism that I don't think needs to happen as well. If we eat well, we could probably avoid the need for medicine. But if you're sick, you probably might need medicines because, well, that can be life-saving. You know, we are different in our current year than we were during the civil war and during the civil, you know, and we also have a lot more than we had, you know, from the time that we were still dragging our knuckles on the ground, you know, uh, 10,000 years ago. So we should take advantage of, of medicines where they can be actually helpful. The question is reliance only. And as you mentioned, there's some really remarkable human evidence to show that it's not just food versus drugs, but sometimes you can actually add food with medicines in order to make everything, the medicines actually work better. And so this is something that can't be ignored. There are foods that we can eat to make flu vaccines work better. There are foods that we can eat to make cancer treatments better. And this is the kind of research that I think really allowed, that brings the worlds together. So it's not about allopathic versus naturopathic. You know, these fiefdoms aren't that helpful because we're all on the same team. We're all just trying to take care of patients better. And the patient doesn't really care where it's coming from. They just want to know, what should I take, doc? And what should I eat, doc? And we should have that answer. 
Well, I love that. And I do have to say, you know, this entire show, the ethos of it, nutrition without compromise is nutrition without compromising your health, that of the planet, or even your morals. And so in some cases, people are making the choice to go more plant-based because they're learning more about how the dairy industry is operating, or they learn that there are health benefits to eating a diet that is more rooted in a plant-based approach. So I'd love for you to comment on this potential worry they might have about not getting enough protein if they're making a shift from eating a diet where they had red meat or chicken or eggs or whatever other animal food that they were eating on a routine basis. And maybe they've even just quit drinking milk and are concerned about that lack of protein. Yeah, well, you know, again, I think, first of all, the most important thing about a healthy diet is to eat diversely. So that's what our bodies are designed to do. You know, by the way, I have this kind of healthy discussion all the time with people who actually are pet lovers and they're feeding the same kibble every single day to their cats or dogs or maybe horses. And, you know, I think it depends on how where our bodies are built. Humans are built to eat across the spectrum. We eat nuts and seeds. We eat legumes. We eat roots, vegetables. We eat leafy greens. We can eat seafood. We can we can eat meat. Okay, but our bodies are health defenses that actually support our health. Loves diversity. Our gut bacteria that protects, lowers our inflammation, helps our metabolism, even keeps us skinny, uh, lean, trims off our body fat, uh, and communicates with our brain also loves diversity. And so this idea that you got to eat only one thing or you got to cut everything out or just cut this one thing out, I think those extremes aren't really helpful. Now, there's nothing more diverse, nothing greater, richer, more wonderful to dive into than plant-based foods because there's so many different plant-based foods that we can actually eat that traditional cultures have cooked, prepared, marinated, roasted, stewed together in combinations or alone, grown seasonally, that actually makes for amazing meals. And so I always tell people who are a little skeptical about plant-based foods, you know, they're afraid of the religion, the cult-like nature that can sometimes happen in healthy eating. And what I tell people is that, you know, I always tell people like, look, I come in peace and I'm not really trying to convince you to do something you don't want to do, but, but take a look at a traditional culture like in the Mediterranean, Italy, Greece, Spain, south of France, Type in something that like a plant-based food you might be interested in and look for a recipe or look for a video. Watch somebody tell you about it, how it works in a culture, and then cook it. And you can kind of see and like you will start to salivate wanting to actually try that dish. And so I think this diversity is really, really important. The consciousness about the planetary health is another very important layer that was missing about 10 years ago. And now we have yet another reason to think about eating more responsibly, not just for our health and feeding our families, but really also keeping the, the planet healthy because of the industrialization of our food. I mean, you know, we went as humans from foraging uh, nuts and berries and twigs, you know, in the savannas and in the jungles to really creating these factory farms. And some of them are factory farms of plants. Some of them are factory farms of animals or even factory farms of fish now. But, you know, in general, it's a better rule to not mess with Mother Nature, not to try to yoke everything down, to try to eat what nature provides us in the freshest, most seasonal sort of way. And then let the creativity happen at the culinary side to make it actually delicious for us. And this is what, you know, Tia, what you were resonating with, this idea that food should bring us joy. And I think that science tells us what we should eat, and we know plant-based foods are better. Our taste buds and our cultures and our minds tell us what, what gives us joy. And then our conscience should tell us 
what's good for the planet? Because, you know, we only got one. Have you ever seen those pictures? I have a friend who's an astronaut and she was to tell me what the biggest lesson that she got from space. Her name is Nicole Stott. She just wrote a whole book about this called, you know, uh, Return to Earth. And she said, you know, when from outer space, you see this incredible blue planet. But the thing that keeps us all alive, that makes us different from any other desolate, deserted planet is this thin blue line that is our atmosphere that is connected to the ground that we uh, can either treat well or abuse. And that's where our food systems come into play. So I think for all those reasons, plant-based eating is something that's really healthy. I don't want people to feel guilty about it. This is not about judgment. This is just about doing something that tastes great and is great at the same time. Well, I have to say I'm kind of of the mind that when you get to that space where you have what they refer to as planetary awareness, the astronauts who reach outer space and they're able to see that membrane. I've always been reminded of a book by Lewin Thomas that I read in college called Lives of a Cell, in which he basically makes these series of essays relate how a cell works to how our social systems work, to how the planet works and the atmosphere itself being like that outer kind of rim of a cell wall. And so I think when we look at nature, when we look how everything operates, we can actually start to see the beauty of how all these systems work together. And if we're careful about the things that we put into our body, if we're mindful of looking at them as nutrition, as nourishing, as opposed to satiating, then we'll get to a space where we can reach that best health. And so I'm so appreciative of this work in particular, because that five by five by five framework well, there's a ton of food there, for example. And I've gone through and picked a few things. I'm like, gosh, I haven't eaten that in a really long time. And and it would be nice if I could add that to a recipe or two, which you also provide in the book. So I wonder if you could comment on, for one, getting your diet dialed for nutrition, but also if there are particular supplements that you tend to go to for specific people. Like for instance, Let's just say somebody doesn't eat a lot of seafood or they're worried about the heavy metals that might be present in the fish that they're consuming, particularly when they're pregnant. Are you recommending an omega-3? Are you going to a plant-based source? What do you like to do? Yeah, I think about what the body needs. And there are some elements that actually supplements are a very convenient way of getting them. And sometimes that's shaped by whether you're a vegan or whether you're afraid of heavy metals, if you're pregnant, for example, or it's just your philosophy. And supplements, by the way, are intended to really give you an an alternative or to top something off. So even if you eat diversely, you might not eat enough. And so I'm all for supplements, but I, in general, what I suggest is really going for the whole food whenever possible. Of course, you got to take a look at the source. You know, there are some things that are incredibly important to be able to top off in your body. Omega-3s have been shown almost in every type of study to benefit lowers inflammation, helps your stem cells, good for your gut microbiome, improves your circulation, protects your brain. I mean, you know, there's hardly anything that we've looked at from a research perspective where omega-3s haven't been contributing to your overall health, protection of health, or improvement in health if you actually need to, if you're sick or if you're dealing with a a health condition. So it's pretty hard to eat a lot of omega-3s from fish. I mean, if you're just doing it on a regular basis, they say, you know, like just three ounces of fish, which is about a piece of fish the size of a playing card, a deck of playing cards, that size of fish is not 
difficult to actually eat, but you got to buy it. You got to prepare it. And not everybody grows by, up by the shore comfortable with seafood, although frozen fish is actually perfectly fine if it's flash frozen at sea. And so in those cases, you know, if you want to actually just get an omega-3 supplement, that's totally fine. I think that that's a perfectly good way of getting those. And if you don't eat fish often enough, have some omega-3 fatty acids. That, that's actually really good. When it comes to supplements, so I do actually tell people that you should really, really do your research, your homework on the quality of the supplement. So, you know, if you're going to buy something, do, do your research, go for reviews, find out what brands actually are credible and have high quality and people aren't complaining about it because, you know, you don't want heavy metals or toxins in your fish. You also don't want contaminants from the factory, you know, from poorly run supplement companies to be in your supplements either. So that's equally important. Another example of something that is hard to get a lot of from diet is vitamin D. Most of our bodies get vitamin D from sunshine, but a lot of us don't live, you know, in a bright, sunny place year round. So we're indoors or it's gray over and we don't get a lot of sunshine. Uh, and so vitamin D is another area of, of supplementation. So I think that those are two examples where, and there are more, where supplementation actually is can be a really convenient and a very valuable thing. Well, thank you so much for that, doctor. The reality is I do take an omega-3 and a vitamin D every single day because their health benefits are so broadly proven. And what I'll just make one comment, generally speaking, if you're going to buy supplements, buying them at somewhere like Costco or Walgreens may not be your best bet. So <laughs> bulk doesn't always mean better. And so yes, do your research and look to what you should actually be putting in your body. Make sure you know the source. And I think that's critical. Tia, I know you're burning to ask a few questions. Well, I was just wondering if you could touch more if you have any thoughts on like the supplement of omega-3s from like an algae source versus a fish source, something that isn't necessarily coming from that fish source directly. And if you have any research on that or thoughts in general. Yeah, well, so this is uh, something that I think most people are surprised by, but uh, omega-3s are actually ultimately plant-based because they come from the algae. They don't, you know, fish don't make omega-3s. They come in algae and they come from the sea at the lowest level of their plants. And you can get omega-3s also from plants that are out of the water as well. You know, plants, nuts and seeds, it comes linearly in a gas and your body converts them into omega-3s. So at the end of the day, omega-3s actually do come from plants. It's always good to eat lower on the food chain whenever we can. So an, al an algae form is perfectly fine and it's more elemental if you wanted to think about it going through the digestive system of fewer species. But again, I mean, what I would say, and as Corinna actually was really emphasizing, make sure the source, do your research, because make sure the source of that is good. It doesn't, you know, unlike pharmaceuticals, where there's so much regulation about what has to be bottled before you can inject it, the, the big challenge with supplements, I think, for consumers is that it doesn't take much. There isn't a big barrier entry for people to flood in there to try to do these, like, sell huge bulks. And, and so the quality varies tremendously. And what I tell people is that if you care about the quality of the food you eat, and you should, you've got to also care equally as much about the quality of the supplements you take. Here, here. <laughs> I mean, having worked for over 20 years in the world of nutrition and supplements in particular, there is such a broad array of quality. Amazon with their direct fulfillment ability, there are companies that 
basically specialize in helping brands launch products en masse. So there might be 10 or 15 different products all offered that are essentially the same soft gel, just with a different label on it, marketed to touch all the points that you think you need. So sometimes you have to take a critical eye to those things and really dig into, okay, who manufactures it? Where does it come from? Is it third-party certified? Do I trust it? And I'll tell you one thing that I'll tell you a little anecdote that I had. I once took a tour of a supplement factory. I'm not going to tell you. I don't think they're around anymore. (laughs) But I saw this with my own eyes. I'm a researcher. So I'm used to being in a white coat with, you know, all the right gloves and sterilization and everything else. And I went to see a, a, a factory tour of a supplement. And they were talking about how clean and how rigorous everything actually is. And then as they were talking excitedly, this is the head of this place, actually accidentally knocked off a bottle of supplements from the conveyor belt and it fell on the floor. And literally, he just picked it up and dusted it off. Like the whole thing, the cap fell off. He dusted it off on his jeans, screwed the cap back on and put it back on the conveyor belt. And it was that moment that I realized this is actually an industry that doesn't have quality control tightly locked down. And that everyone really, really needs to be aware that the quality does matter. And that's why we have things like CGMP certified facilities that, you know, are carefully managing these products. I mean, I've been on a few plant tours myself and there are simple rules. Like you can't even wear a watch. Like I'm not wearing a watch today when you're on the line. And then you go to one plant or another and you see people wearing a watch or they're not wearing the beard guard or, and all of these things should be monitored. That's all I'll say. Exactly. Okay. I would love to get back into the five defense systems of our body. If you could provide us a breakdown on that, like what are the basics that we need to know about the body and how do they all interact together? Or should we look at them individually? Kind of like Western medicine tends to do. Yeah. Okay. So people who are deeply into research realize that you can't isolate systems. They all work together. There's a field called systems biology, which means that, you know, in simple terms, you know, basically everything is interconnected. And if you move something on one side, it'll actually cause a reaction. The other thing, so you have to look holistically. And that's really the way to think about food and health. However, you can actually break down how your body protects its health, which is a result of five of our body's health defense systems. One is called angiogenesis. Angio is blood, blood vessels. Genesis is how our body grows blood vessels, angiogenesis. 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels, the highways and byways of oxygen and the nutrients from the food we eat delivers it to every single cell and organ. Very important health defense system. And the foods that we eat can either help us grow more blood vessels where they're needed or can actually mow down extra blood vessels to prevent blood vessels from feeding diseases. Another health defense system is our stem cell system. When we're born, we have a few leftover stem cells from when we were in our mom's womb because we were all originally made from stem cells. We have about 750 million extras. They get packed away. It's kind of like extra can of paint. If you're painting your room, you always have buy a couple of extra cans It's just so you don't run out. And our extra stem cells are stuffed into our bone marrow and, and actually packed into our fat as well. And when we need to repair ourselves, they come out into our bloodstream to help repair us. They regenerate it. We regenerate from the inside out. Okay, so foods can actually help coax out our stem cells to assist us in regenerating. That's one of the most amazing things. And there are, and, and some parts of the body also can hijack stem cells and they become very nefarious, evil. 
an evil stem cell is a cancer stem cell, which is why cancers can keep growing back. And there are some foods that actually can kill cancer stem cells. There's no drug. There's no pharmaceutical can, that can do that. But there are foods that can do that, like purple potatoes, as an example, or matcha tea can kill cancer stem cells. So it's quite remarkable. You can grow stem, you can call out stem cells that are helpful. You can get rid of bad stem cells. Our gut microbiome is a third health defense system. 39 trillion bacteria in our body helps our metabolism, lowers inflammation, helps us heal faster, communicates with our brain. Our bacteria, by the way, has this incredible ability to text message our brain and help our brain release social hormones like oxytocin that makes us feel better, puts us in a better mood. And again, what we feed, what we eat, when we eat something, we're feeding our human selves. Everything we don't digest goes on to our bacteria in our gut further on down. And our gut bacteria, when we, when we feed our gut bacteria, it's like feeding your pet at home. If you have a cat, a dog, a goldfish, a lizard, whatever it is that you have as a pet, you take good care of that pet every single day. We have to take good care of our gut microbiome. And our gut bacteria pays us back by releasing metabolites called short-chain fatty acids that actually help us with all these healthful parts of our body. We've got to protect them. Fourth health defense systems are DNA. More than a genetic code, our DNA protects us from the environment by fixing damage to the DNA. If we didn't fix our DNA, we'd actually be mutating and have cancers all the time. And so it's, you know, like most people think about maybe I'd become an X-Men and to get superpowers. No, more likely if you had lots of mutations, your DNA wouldn't be fixed. You'd wind up developing tumors all over the place. And so thank goodness our health defenses fix us, slows down cellular aging, and also is able to uncloak hidden parts of our DNA is called epigenetics and foods that we eat can also do all of these things, help our DNA fix itself, uncloak useful genes to create proteins that can protect our health and slows down the impact of age on our DNA. And then the fifth, of course, our fifth health defense system of these five is our immune system, which, you know, it's almost like if when you talk about immunity today, say no more, we know how important this actually is, but our immune system protects us from invaders from the outside, like bacteria and viruses, but a lot of people don't realize our immune system protects us from invaders on the inside of our body, like cancer. So we want to actually feed all five of these health defense systems. And my five by five by five framework, it's not a diet. And this framework is really just intended to help us all understand we've got five health defense systems. Every day we should be eating some food, at least that, that uh, supports, props up, activates one of our health defenses. It's going to be good for our health. It's going to help us live longer and better, and we're going to be more vibrant. And the third thing is that we encounter food about five times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a couple of snacks. You know, we kind of wing by and pick up something. Each of those times we encounter food is a shot on goal that we actually have to make a good, healthy decision that can boost our body's defenses. And that's what the 5 by 5 by 5 system is all about. So I just have to know, given all of that complexity, how did you create this matrix? Like, were you sitting and putting pins on a corkboard on the wall or building out a, I don't know, a whiteboard, something like that? I, mean, I just wondered how you even got to the space of creating this 5 by 5 by 5 You know, as a scientist, we try to create lots of diagrams in order to understand how things interconnect. So I, I did create lots of diagrams on a whiteboard, as a matter of fact. And I had these whiteboards that were the size of a whole room wall. So we, they were all over the place. And I kept on adding to them and tweaking them. And I stared at it for a long time. Now, as a doctor, I realized that what my job to really help people is to make things as simple as possible, right? And so the job of the scientist is to unpack the complexity 
the job of a really good doctor, an effective doctor, is to simplify that complexity into something that everyone can actually understand. So then I had to take the complex and try to make it as easy as possible. And that five by five by five is really just sort of like um, a way, the simplest way that I could actually boil it down so people could remember something and just take it around with them. You know, what I tell people in my book, there's 200 foods that all activate your health defenses. You don't have to memorize them. In fact, you know, what I tell people is that, you know, if you have the electronic version of the book or the hard copy of the book, take a screenshot or take a photograph of the book, circle the ones, the foods that you like, and then take a photograph of it. Now you've got it in your phone, take it shopping. And then you can take a look and, and just pick out the foods that strike you that are good for you. And I guarantee you, it'll actually make for a tasty meal. And so this whole other dimension that we haven't gotten to is really how do we actually get people to not eat to live, which is, you know, kind of sustenance and feeling satiated. But how do we actually maybe practice a little bit of what other food cultures do, like in the Mediterranean or like in Asia, which is they actually they actually live to eat. They really look forward to, they enjoy, they take their time, they invest in having good quality food and they take the time to put it all together. And it's part of bonding. And, you know, I think here in America, sometimes, you know, and I, as guilty as anyone else about this, when you're super busy, you're racing around, you're picking up something, you're just chucking it down and you keep on going as if that's the most important thing to do that day. If you go to a food culture, like, you know, a village in Italy, or you go to a village in Japan or in China, the most important part of the day is towards the end of the day you get to sit down with your family and your friends and you get to actually enjoy freshly prepared food in delicious, healthful ways. And to some extent, you can't replace like those two things couldn't be any different and you can't replace one with the other. I couldn't agree more. And your five by five framework, you really give permission to people to start where they are today and to move forward in their health journey in a manner that fits their current lifestyle. Like you even go into details to provide practical tips for different lifestyles without any judgment. And one of the tips you mentioned is that extreme measures can lead to short-term gains, but long-term consequences for your health. And I think that in the culture that we have with these fad diets and just diet culture in general, people are looking for that quick fix. They want to drop that 30 pounds in 30 days, and they're not looking for the health benefits of it, really. And you really help people with that freedom of choice and flexibility so it can fit into their busy lifestyle. That busy working mom can grab food that, you know, fuels her body in the way that she wants to while still making it to that next game for her child or make it to that next meeting for work. And I just love how, you, you know, you make it so simple where it's almost like, why would you not at least try it? right? Because it's clear that it's not a fad diet. It's clear it's not a quick fix. This is a lifestyle change for people. And I was just wondering, is this something that you still use for yourself daily? Or is this something that we can kind of graduate from? Yeah, well, look, I mean, the whole idea of personalizing your health respects the fact that we're all different. You're different than me. I'm different from my neighbor. And we're all individuals. We know that now from a science perspective at the genetic level, our genetics are all individual and very different. We also know that although, you know, again, as a doctor, I was trained to diagnose this disease in men or in, or in women, and you give this sort of the same prescription, that doesn't hold true anymore. We know every single person, even in healthcare, has to be dealt with in a very unique, different, uh, in a unique way. Even for cancer, I can tell you as a cancer researcher and taking care of cancer patients, we now don't just call it colon cancer or breast cancer. We're able to take a tumor from a patient and individualize it to understand what makes 
that tumor special to that individual at this point in time. That's personalizing disease, and we can also personalize health. And so beyond the biology and the science of it, there's also the preferences. You know, we I call food one of the most intimate things in our lives because it's the first thing that we did when we came out of our moms is we crawled up her chest and we actually had a mouthful of breast milk. And ever since then, you know, we developed our tastes. And so food is intimate because everyone, no matter who you are, can remember that smell that came from your mom's kitchen that you loved, that you that make, takes you back to childhood. So our food and our preferences tell us about our family, our childhood, our community, and ultimately our culture, because we're all from someplace. And that individualization is so important for us to respect and pay homage to, which means that, you know, if there are foods that you resonate with, that are healthy for you on that list of 200 foods, go for those for, by all means, because that's who you are. And of course, then within circumstances, look, I'm, I'm a busy person. I used to travel all the time before the pandemic. And then when we, and so I would actually f- have to figure out how to adapt myself to a restaurant, an airport, you know, a quick a trip to a farmer's market, I would be winging by. Once the pandemic hit and I was at home a lot, and less now, but when I was home a lot, I would have to figure out what I would want to actually put into my larder, what I would actually shop and bring back home. And again, this idea that you can actually be versatile and use different styles to actually fit your preferences and who you are, your own ability, your own circumstances is, is a really important one. So it's not a fad. It's not a trend. It's a kind of a habit that you just learn how to actually navigate through life in a way that works for you at any given point in time. Well, I'm just applauding at this point because I feel like that's exactly on point. Now, towards the end of the book, after you go through the five by five by five framework, you offer us a quiz, something we can take to assess our own health and our own risk levels. Personally, I was a little nervous taking it at the end of your book, having read everything. I'm 45. I smoked for many years. I quit before I got married at 28, but I also have hypothyroidism and recently learned that I have a couple of spots on my face that were actinic keratosis. So looking at all of these things, you know, even if I'm living a healthy life, my risks for certain things are starting to elevate partially because of my age and partially because of my heredity, right? Now I hike, I jog, I like weightlifting, but as you note in your book, old damage is still damage. So I cringed. And as I completed the survey, then started, you know, towards the end, realizing, okay, I'm good because I've been living such a healthy lifestyle for so long because I am very active. And so I scored around a five or a six. That's full transparency, right? Like dependent on a couple of things in hereditary, I might be like six, but hey, under the 10 point, right? And so I would like to hear from you, what would you have to say to those, let's just call them uber competitive people like me, (laughs) who are evaluating their health with this quiz and looking at what they can do to change it? Yeah, well, look, I mean, there are, you know, what I try to do, the reason I put that quiz in there is because, you know, it's always good to kind of test yourself objectively and see where you fall and where you stand. It's kind of like, you know, when People are nervous sometimes, you know, they step out of the shower, they, they step on the scale just to check out, like people are nervous about that, but that's okay. It's fine to actually have an objective measure. And sometimes that's enough of a prompt to actually make you just remind yourself that you maybe do something a little bit differently for the next period of time. But, you know, like I, I do recognize that some people are always looking for how to get to the next level. And so what I would actually say is that 
we can always do better for ourselves, regardless of our past. It's never too late to improve your health, no matter what your past is. You know, whether you've been healthy your whole time and, you know, you're an ultra marathoner, you can still improve, you know, and that's part of just exploring and with foods and looking at your health defense systems and making better choices. If you're somebody who has bad genetics, you know, we now know that your genes don't determine your fate. If you don't do anything about it, yeah, maybe they do. But now we know that you can actually eat foods that can alter the way that your DNA works. It's called epigenetics. And you can actually tip the odds in your favor. Who wouldn't want to do that, right? I mean, if you knew you could actually play the lottery and you could actually do something and to get a better ticket, like, why wouldn't you do that? And that's basically what I think our diet can actually do. And if you're somebody who, you know, has had environmental exposures, work exposures, used to work in a factory, used to be an artist and used to be surrounded by fumes and oil paints all the time. I always remember I used to draw when I was a kid. I mean, you remember those fumes that can those magic markers when you're like your face is down on the paper and you're coloring. I mean, look, those are not good for you. However, the good news is the body is so resilient. Your health defenses are so good at fixing damage, repairing, regenerating, doing workarounds that we are, you know, the result of our lives. And that's okay. We have to live the way that we have to live. The good news is that our body is very resilient. These health defenses help us get to our better selves. And as long as we take care of our health defenses, we're going to be in good shape and we can feed them and encourage them and get them to be in a better place. I do think maybe this is the time, Karina, to actually also just remind people, look, we, we can do things that can take down our health defenses every single day, and we don't even know it. You know, if you stay up all night, if you really pull late nights, stress stretches all the time, you know, that does wear down your health defenses. If you're emotionally stressed out all the time and you sort of just like live in a constant state of stress, emotional stress, and there's all kinds of reasons that you could be in, in that that's going to wear down your health defenses. You know, if you are sedentary and you just aren't physically active, that's going to wear your health defenses. And if you drink a lot of soda and the sugar sweetened beverages or artificial sweeteners, you eat a lot of ultra processed foods and you eat a ton of red meat and you eat lots of unhealthy fats, that's also going to wear down your health defenses. And so here's an opportunity to do less of the bad stuff, more of the good stuff, no matter where you are in your health journey, it's going to make you a better person, take you to that next level on a day-to-day -day level. If that doesn't encourage you to pick up this book, I don't know what will. Because honestly, this book has so much packed into it. And Dr. Lee, I wish we could talk to you for hours on end. But one thing I just wanted to wrap up the show with is I understand you're offering a free 60-minute masterclass to the public to help them further gain control of their health. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How's it going? And how can we gain access to this valuable content? Yeah, I started doing these masterclasses because I realized that the one thing that we can all do, and, you know, during the pandemic, when everybody was locked in, everybody started to use Zoom and virtual communications. And, you know, I used to fly to different parts of the country and I would lecture and I would give talks and, you know, try to uh, inspire people to get on their feet and eat better. And, you know, I might talk to a group of 500 people or 5,000 people, but there's only so much scale you can do. And I realized during the pandemic, during the lockdown, that things like Zoom and virtual things, you could touch on thousands of people. And so I started doing these masterclasses for free, usually in the evening, and then they're taped. You can watch them to really be able to bring people the latest information about the five health defenses, about human research that can make a difference in people's lives. And I would actually bring new research to it. So this so it changes every single time. And what was really wonderful is that we could actually impact on lots of people all at the same time. I had a masterclass recently that had 
8,000 people sign up from 38 countries. And there's no kind of event. I mean, unless you are a rock star, you know, at playing a, an arena, there's no way you could actually impact on that many people without using kind of a virtual system. And so these master classes are free. They're intended to help everyone. They're help, they're, there's something useful for you, no matter where you are in your health journey. And it's something that's, you know, I just feel it's part of my mission as somebody that feels that knowledge can be turned into power if you hear about it and you can understand it in ways that are as simple as making a decision of what to eat anytime you encounter food. Wow. Well, Tia, we're going, right? <laughs> yes. Already I, signed up. <laughs> yeah. I think that we have to. I will just say, Dr. Lee, this has been an incredible time. Now, I heard on your interview with Dr. Mark Hyman that you two enjoy a cup of gelato from time to time. And so even having that treat now and then, and I'll just add this to my bucket list wish. I hope that one day I get to have a cup of gelato with you. Would love to. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate all of the work that you're doing. We are going to include links to all of the things we discussed in show notes, along with a complete blog that Tia is going to take the trouble to write and make sure that we provide direct links to your programs, as well as your YouTube channel, which I have to say I thoroughly enjoy as well. You do things like introduce people to foods that they might not have known about. So I just invite everybody who's a part of our audience, stay curious, get to know your food, read this book. It's honestly a page turner, even though it's packed full of research and information. So thank you so much, Dr. Lee. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us with Nutrition Without Compromise. This has been an interview with Dr. William Lee. We just love him. And check out our show notes at orlonutrition.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or.